I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A huge story has broken today that Andy Murray is to retire this year. He admitted that this may be his final tennis tournament as a professional. If, if what I saw yesterday... 6-1-4-1 retired practice match against Novak Djokovic where, in all honesty, Djokovic was barely trying. I mean, to hear him talk about a potential surgery option, which is this hip resurfacing thing, to him talk about that in terms of just an option that might improve his quality of life. This guy that two years ago was world number one is just unthinkable. Jamie Delgado was... Uh, was waiting for him outside the little TV interview room and he'd obviously been contacted by Andy's agent and told Andy's all but retired here. Andy saw him there waiting and they just collapsed onto one another in an embrace, sobbing on one another's shoulders and uh, told you everything about what they've been through together to try and get back to to where they want to be and and realising it's not possible. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. And isn't it just vintage Andy Murray, Catherine, that after all that, he then comes back and goes and wins a title before the end of the same year? And we are rendered looking stupid. Uh, But, I mean... The ultimate act of defiance. Yes, it's just typical Andy Murray. Uh, Congratulations to him on the most astounding week of tennis in which he's just beaten Stan Wawrinka in the final from 6-3-3-1 down. He was also a set down against Hugo Humbert in the previous round to that. It's the fourth week in a row that he's played a tournament. In in basically every week he's done something worth worthy of being there, another win or another pushing a player close, and then he's topped off this run with a title. And the reason we put that intro in the way we have is because just to really give a context, because yes, the, there are plenty of people we're not alone in in having ultimately looked back and been able to say well that wasn't correct that ended up not happening delighted it didn't but that's exactly how it felt at the time isn't it that all of the emotions all of the the rawness of that press conference and and our immediate podcast after it were were genuine were were exactly how we felt at the time and and I think it was on good grounds because nobody had ever had a hip resurfacing thing as you described it <laughs> before uh, and and Andy Murray didn't even really know what the he hadn't a clue that this was going to be possible um 
it feels slightly miraculous. Yeah, that's a good word, isn't it? On a day when it's hard to find the words, really. I think I think using those clips from what we had to say at the beginning of the year is a really, really good way of doing it because I actually went back and I read a couple of couple of the articles that I remembered being particularly powerful around that time. I read Jonathan Liu's piece in The Independent and I read a piece by Brian Phillips in Ringer, um, both of which I remember just really summed up what Andy Murray was about and what we would be missing um, with his absence on the tour. And, and actually in the piece from from Brian Phillips in Ringer, he... <laughs> He highlighted really eloquently the fact that, you know, moments like this, and it applies to this moment now after him winning the title, they call for, or they tend to call for, typically call for exaggeration and hyperbole and sentimentality. And none of those things are Andy Murray, are they? He's he's just totally, I mean, there is a certain amount of sentimentality that goes along with him and his story, an awful lot of it, in fact, but he's not sentimental so it feels inappropriate um given the nature of the man to sort of get involved in hyperbole and exaggeration and everything and yet the moment calls for all of those things so trying to find the right words and to give it all context is it's really really difficult how, how did you feel when you watched those final <laughs> final throws because we were we were there in that press conference weren't we at the start of this year in melbourne and we came straight out and recorded that press conference and and i think that that's got to be one of the more difficult podcasts that we've done in order to sort of to not let emotions get in the way of actually being able to even be lucid, really, and 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 I don't want to exaggerate, but it felt really depressing at the time, and and seeing him go through what he was mentally, and he was clearly in a, in such a a bad way, dealing with everything that was going on, and and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I did feel a bit of a lump in my throat watching it yesterday, but also a feel of uh, of I don't how have we got here. <laughs> Yeah, ridiculous. and then as soon as you're there, it's the new normal, isn't it? As soon as soon as now we're here, we're talking about what he can do at the Australian Open and the fact that he's the first name on the team sheet now for the Davis Cup finals. Yeah. And the fact that he's gonna play Roger Federer in one of the opening matches of the season at the ATP Cup. Suddenly we've all adjusted to the new normal and we're looking to the future and that's that's wonderful. It's wonderful to feel like we're at the start of something with Andy Murray because as soon as he got to world number one, as soon as he achieved what he did at the back end of 2016, that Herculean effort that we now sort of, we narrate it as the effort that kind of broke him. Um, as soon as he was there, it was over. Mm. It was already the beginning of the end. It wasn't the beginning of his era at the top of his reign at the top. It was the actually we now know the beginning of the end and that's an incredibly or up until you know this recent resurgence that thought was incredibly tragic mm. and poignant and sad and unjust i think you know looking back on some of the the tone of some of the articles, you know, around January time, it was just this sense of injustice. Because he wasn't ready for it. And, and everybody that 
cares about him and the sport were not ready for it because it had come out of the blue. And how perfect that he ended up playing yesterday, the very man who he shared a court with on the day it all went wrong at the French Open in the semifinals in 2017. You know, that's that's the moment that the hip, in his words, was never the same again. He, he said, uh, I never recovered from that match, mm. didn't he? Extraordinary. And extraordinary that, that he then went on to to be a set and a break-up on Sam Querrey in a Wimbledon quarter-final a few weeks later. Um, and that was, so that was 2017. And then, of course, 2018, in the summer of 2018, after he had, that, had what we now know is a kind of preliminary surgery earlier in the year, far less uh, significant surgery than the resurfacing he had in February this year. Um, he had that sort of attempted to come back and he ended up playing Vavrinka in Eastbourne. And I sat courtside for that match and it was pretty harrowing, really. They both looked just crook. Yeah. It, it was, I mean, it, yeah, it was... That was the year that Vavrinka had come back at the Australian Open himself in 2018, wasn't it? And he'd played mm. his first match back and I remember describing it as looking as if his legs didn't belong to him. At all. Yeah. You know, they didn't seem to be doing what he was asking them to and uh, carrying his weight and, and a player that needs that foundation in order to just push off and hit these incredibly powerful shots. And, and I thought he was finished. I really did. I thought mm. Stan Varenka, I don't see how, given the weight that he's carrying around, he's a big muscular guy. A who, unit. Yeah, he's a unit. And his wheels were not carrying his unit. And he can sometimes, I mean, he can look like that on grass even yeah. in his pomp, can't yes. he? I was aware of that. I was trying to temper my depressing assessments of that day with that. But it was, it almost wasn't the tennis. I mean, it was the tennis, but it was this sort of, just the odd fleeting look that they exchanged between them, this unspoken acceptance between them that neither of them had it anymore. They mm, weren't there. Yeah. There was this understanding that was sort of beautiful, but also desperately sad. Yeah. Um, and Andy Murray couldn't, he he couldn't be defiant in, in Stan Wawrinka's face because he realised he was looking at a guy that was staring at all the same despair that he felt like he was staring at. at That's the what time. was so glorious about yesterday. There was a moment when Murray's first little surge in the match happened and he broke back and he made it into a contest and then suddenly it was a set all and two all and I just thought this is brilliant. I couldn't care less <laughs> who wins. This is so great to see these two back doing what they do best being dogged because Stan Wawrinka was uh was really good yesterday he played really well in that final I know he tapered off a bit but that was because of the relentless doggedness of Andy Murray he started to doubt himself and think what do I have to do to hit through this guy I can't really play any better and he's not going away that's what he does to people um yeah, Vavrinka played so well and Murray, by his own admission, was just hanging in there, hanging tough, not going away. And how many tennis matches has that won him over the years? And I, I said it throughout the, the Asian tournaments that he played. He is winning these matches in classic Andy Murray style. Yeah. That's what's most pleasing about them. It's that total irritating refusal to go away <laughs> excellent let's so tell you great. what do you know who's out there simon briggs of the telegraph uh, was out there so let's talk to him 
Hello, Simon. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Just got back from the Eurostar. Uh, felt like a bit of an early start because it was uh, first train out of Brussels and then uh, the extra hour. So I'm a bit snoozy now. Yes, but it's been worth it for you, hasn't it? I mean, you've seen a lot with Andy Murray over the years. I don't think you thought this was coming. Did Did it feel like it was coming throughout the week? I mean, when you went over there, did you go with the idea that actually this could be another significant week because obviously you'd already posted three pretty significant weeks already you'd and yet you went out there for the whole thing yeah i mean i wasn't intending to stay the whole week because i booked to come back on friday um that probably tells you a little of expectation uh which left me with a bit of a sort of an inside out underpants issue in the uh in the end of the <laughs> end of the trip um but uh the uh, the thing was, I, I mean, I saw your uh, comment that the draw looked promising, and it did look promising, you know, as soon as it came out. Um, but I should I say that didn't... was Matt Roberts's uh, observation rather oh, sorry, than my okay. own. Yeah, he he's the one who he, he's the one who incidentally is not here uh, this week and is unable to gloat in person about his predictions. <laughs> However, he has been doing so very much so from afar. But yes, you're right. He's the one who identified correctly that the draw looked pretty good for Andy Murray. But then um, I just, I just, you know, no one had had seen him play matches back to back, so he ended up playing five in six days, um, and you know the last two. I mean, if we say, you know, it's incredible and unprecedented, and it's mind-boggling what he's achieved. But in the last two matches, if you just talk about him as a tennis player he was kind of outgunned in the semi-final and the final. And he had to um, do that kind of de- over my dead body thing he does, where he just says, I'm not going to go away and you're going to have to keep on playing as you're playing if you're going to win. And neither Humbert, who put up a pretty strong showing in the semi-final, nor Vavrinka in the end could do that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, as you say, I think he was a set and three one down against Vavrinka he immediately crumpled into tears upon the final ball, didn't he? What was he like in the press conference afterwards? Because I think you and a couple of your colleagues, Mike Dixon and Stu Fraser, were out there. What was what was his demeanour like? What, what did he have to say? Well, he was kind of... Uh, um, he kind of baffled, I think. <laughs> he was kind of bemused by himself. Because he said to us that he wasn't prepared to win and he wasn't expecting to win... And he didn't quite know what to do with it now. <laughs> um, but um, he was almost a little bit downbeat. He'd been very jolly all week. Um, and he was coming into the press room to steal our yogurts because there was a particular kind of um, uh, of Danone uh, sort of caramel vanilla thing that apparently he and Jamie became addicted to when they first went to Tarbes all those years ago. Uh, as juniors and we had it we had these yogurts in our press fridge so he'd he'd come in every day and snaffle a four pack at least and sometimes an eight pack um and he was in in really good form and very uh, you know very smiley and and happy to chat and you know you know both on the record and just um away from the microphone as well but then when he won the title i don't think he quite as i say i don't think he quite knew what to do and he was like well i don't think i played very well <laughs> but uh you know i think then, then we, we obviously went back into the backstory and uh you know he he began 
reliving some of the, the trials and tribulations he'd had to go through to get to this stage. And, uh, you know, I think we were all uh, slightly um, almost wondering how it came to pass that he, he was here, including him. What was the reaction when you were you were out there from your sports desk? Because obviously there's there's a lot going on in the world, both in yeah. terms of news and in terms of sports news. There's big football, there's World Cup rugby, there's obviously huge political uh, news out there in in <laughs> in the world as well in this country. Um, how big a deal was this? <laughs> well, somebody asked him. It wasn't actually one. Said Andy, you've just won the European Open. Uh, when, when uh, Britain is leaving the EU, what do you think of that? <laughs> um, to which he said, uh, well, I'm not sure anyone knows what to say about that. So I'm <laughs> basically doing his best to stay out of it very wisely. Um, but in terms of the projection, well, we, we did pretty well to get a front page of the sports section on the, was it the Thursday. And then I actually haven't seen the paper today yet, but... Um, you know, considering that the Rugby World Cup is a massive Telegraph event um, and the rugby is kind of almost our core sport, it, it did pretty well. I mean, it would have been even better if it hadn't been uh, concurrent with England making a bid for the last four of that event. It would have probably been on the front page pretty much every day. And um, what what are his plans now, Simon? Because obviously the the rest of the tennis tennis world carries on. There's there's Paris, and then there's the ATV finals, and there's the Davis Cup finals, and he's just been uh, included in in that team that Leon Smith has announced. What? And obviously he's got his own personal situation, family wise, to look at. He's got his two young kids, and he's got a third on the way, um, uh, very imminently indeed, and. What what do you think his plan is now? Do you think this changes anything at all? No, I don't think so. I mean, he always said he was going to take uh, uh, pretty much four weeks off after this. And in a way, I think it'll be all the more enjoyable to do that, knowing that you've just had a, a terrific breakthrough of this kind. And then he'll return to action. I think he, may, he might only play, if you think about it, he might only play two team events before the Australian Open now, because the Davis Cup on November the 18th, and then you've got um, the uh, ATP Cup, which he actually entered. He was quite torn over whether to enter it. And it was almost after doing one of his previous media appearances at Queen's Club that he, he was like, what do you think, guys? And we were like, well, you have to because otherwise we're not going to get in. And he was like, okay, I'll do it then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much of that was for show, but um, I think he was quite interested in w- w- whether we thought it was fair for him to take a place when he wasn't at that stage, he didn't know how well he was playing. And now he looks like the best British player. So it's not really a, a, any um, contentious decision to be made. He'll probably just be the number one. But uh, back then, we didn't know how fast he was going to progress. And he was a bit concerned that if he entered the ATP Cup, um, he might take away a spot from a more deserving player. But we were like, well, if, if, you, if you don't go, then <laughs> probably nobody's going to go on the trajectory that Edmund's ranking is on. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's probably good for everybody if you enter. And, and, he, and, he, did, and then he did so. But I think that'll be, that might be it before the next slam. And then you're talking about that slam and you're thinking, well, what's the realistic? And yeah, you certainly, I think there's every reason to think he can make second week after this week, isn't there? Wow, yeah. It's, uh, oh dear. it's quite hard to believe we're talking in those terms, but... You know, I'm almost waiting for for it to be tempting fate and something to go crashing down. But uh, and he had a slight elbow issue, didn't he? But I mean, yeah. basically, he looked fine. Yeah, I mean, the uh, he's done it really without serving him at all well all week. I mean, 
his serving percentages were in the low to mid 50s. And he probably hoped to raise that if he was feeling fully confident in that elbow. Um, and it, it was, it meant that he was broken more often than he would otherwise have been, but he was so resilient and resourceful and switched on that he just managed to pull himself back into the, the sets whenever that happened. He did, and he won the title. And Simon, where does that leave you now uh, for the rest of the year? And and for the, I mean, do you go to the ATP Cup? Does does this change your schedule? I mean, Davis Cup Finals. You know, these are not things apart from 2015 that you would have probably been attending. Uh, well, they're both new events, aren't they? So I think um, you know, you talk about the sort of hardcore of the UK tennis press, which is, you know, certainly. Mike Dixon, Stuart Froese. I think we're we're all going to go to both those team events, and we're going to anyway because they were kind of newsy events, um, and this just makes them all the more appealing. Really, this certainly adds interest. And the, you've got to say that the organisers of, of both those events must be rather pleased to have seen what happened in Antwerp. Um, but uh, I'm just going to be at the ATP finals and then Madrid for that, that week, which I suspect will be a good event. I mean, I'm not really sold on the long-term um, economic basis on which the Cosmos deal has been done, but I think they will probably run a very slick event and it'll probably be good fun. Indeed. It'll be fascinating to see how it goes. Simon, lovely to have you with us as always on the Tennis Podcast. Nice to speak to you. So there's Simon, who has got his underwear back on the right way around now, thankfully, having returned to the UK. And vivid. Probably could have done without that, that one, Simon. Vivid. <laughs> but no, always lovely to have Simon on. Um, and yeah, definitely, it's... definitely have underwear shops in Belgium. I've been there. Mm. I'm, I'm, I, I believe that to be the case. <laughs> He, uh, it, I, I love those little stories of, of what it's like in the press room when a player just comes wandering through because you, we see that all the time, don't we? Things that you don't see on cameras necessarily and um, just them going about their day-to-day business. But And there's so many tournaments like the European Open in Antwerp around the world that don't get that much publicity and then suddenly they're just presented with this incredible storyline and Stan Wawrinka and Andy Murray totally did it justice how how opt how optimistic are you from here that this is the beginning of something rather than the crowning moment of the comeback do you think do you think that what we have just seen is the bit that we will remember do you want me to produce another quote which will be sticking in the podcast in nine months time to make ourselves look silly that's what we do (laughs) (laughs) pretty confident but in, in a, I'll never else. take anything for granted ever again in a kind of way, in a we've got to just, you know, as I said, t- turned out what we thought was the beginning was actually the beginning of the end. So the lesson we all should have learned from that is to enjoy what we get while it's there. Um, I mean, just look at the curve. It's all upward trajectory at the moment. Yeah, it, and it's, it's but it's what I like about it is it has all just moved upwards in a gradual fashion. It hasn't just been oh, he's played like a dream one week or, or got got a bit lucky. He's just built, you know. And when you see the clips from when he played Richard Gasquet in his first match back, he obviously won the doubles in at Queens, and then he won. Then he played Gasquet, and he really he looked like I described Stan Wawrinka looking at the start of his comeback. 
And I love the way these players, they just sort of trust that process and don't get too far ahead of themselves. They're happy to build foundations and and be all the better for it. It's with him now having a couple of months. Uh, okay, he's got the, the Davis Cup by records and finals, which, uh, which he's been selected for today. They've made the... The, the team selections today, Murray's alongside Dan Evans, um, Neil Skupski and his brother Jamie Murray with either Kyle Edmund or Cam Norrie, most likely one of those two, uh, to complete the team. He He's going to play that. It obviously is, he'll probably love love that atmosphere. I mean, oh. it's classic Murray, isn't it? Yeah. But I just feel like that and nothing but that until the new year is just about perfect for him, really. Do you think so? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I, I think you're probably right. I mean, there is always that fear that I, I, possibly a bit of recency bias here, but players that have a big run at the end of a year mm. and you assume they're going to carry that into the start of the next year, sometimes do you have a bit of a, a letdown? Dimitrov Zverev, Dimitrov like Zverev, Sabalenka, mm. um, Caroline Garcia a couple of years ago. That is a thing that happens, but... Um, I think Andy Murray's situation is unique enough that sort of drawing parallels with those trends is probably not worthwhile. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty optimistic. Yeah, uh, there's no reason not to be. The data the Might data well. indicates that we ought to be. He played really well yesterday, and he he was winning matches where he wasn't playing his best. As you Simon, thought he did, because Simon was saying that Murray wasn't sure about whether it didn't think he was playing that well. I, I thought I thought he did play pretty well. I thought Vavrinka was awesome yesterday. Yeah. I thought Vavrinka was really really good, and he made Murray look powerless yeah. in the way that Stan Vavrinka, when he's really really good. That makes people look powerless mm. um so, I, so yeah I, d- I don't think he played brilliantly throughout the week his first match against Copians was really ropey Coppel uh that match in the quarters he got himself embroiled in a completely unnecessary third set he was setting five two up in that <laughs> yeah. wasn't he and then all of a sudden we're in a dogfight um Ugo and Bear in the semi-finals he just came out swinging mm. that was good fun but unsustainable um and yeah, Murray, his, his serve wasn't where it had been in China. I don't think the surface suited him quite as well. It wasn't as quick as um, as Beijing and certainly Shanghai. Um, so it it wasn't his wasn't his absolute best. But that's that's a milestone in itself, isn't it? Yeah. Winning winning when you're not playing your best. Yeah. He's ticking off the milestones, as Matt would say, if he were here. I yeah. mean, actually, what he'd be saying if he were here is just on a loop, I predicted this, I predicted this, I predicted this. <laughs> and thank goodness he's not here. Yeah, goodness me. Gotta uh, stop making us look bad, Matt. Whose idea was it to hire him? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Terrible Anyway, <mistake>. splendid <laughs> prediction, Matt. Well done. Really pleased for you. Um, Catherine also got the uh, the runner-up. She went for Stan Wawrinka. Uh, and I kind of got it right a, as well. We, can you we mention that I was on a three-week roll? I think you just have. Um, well, and it just wasn't mentioned last week. No. Right, okay, well, it's... Yeah, you've just mentioned it. Um, so uh, Murray's won in Antwerp. Uh, Matt got that right. Catherine's nearly got three in a row. I kind of got <laughs> Stockholm right because Denis Shapovalov won the title. The tennis podcast owns Denis Shapovalov. But in my tennis podcast phone, when I wrote the name Denis Shapovalov in the newsletter predictions, it auto-corrected to Grigor Dimitrov. 
And oh, there's uh, a parable in there somewhere. And he lost in know. the first round seven six in the third to Sam Query. So yeah. you comparisons know, have been made to Matt Roberts. Yeah. Yes, yeah, similar backhand apparently to Sam Query for Matt. Who so that's that is not a good week for Grigor Dimitrov. Somebody, somebody wrote to Leon Smith and suggested that they pick Matt Roberts as part of the team. <laughs> <laughs> Would you believe because of his form? That would be a bigger burn to Carl Edmund than being left <laughs> off the uh, the list today. And Cam Norrie's playing even better than Matt. So, you know, I can understand... The high bar, Cam. If, um, ...if he manages to get the nod ahead of Matt and ahead of Carl, we'll have to wait and see. So... Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Oh, yeah, I mean... That is a a good sign for for Shapovalov to have won a title, isn't it? You've, I mean, he he oh, yeah. enters a lot of two fifties, and sometimes I think too many. But he had to get this under his belt, and and he beat players that on paper, and a number of them you would think, well, yeah, you should beat him, and you actually only need, needed to win four matches to win the whole title. But he still had to do it, and he did it. He beat Adrian Manorino in the final. Yeah, ticking off a milestone. It's. Significant. It's a hurdle he had to overcome. He does Sitsipas play an awful it lot of last year. Sitsipas yep. won the same tournament last year, his first one. So, you know, we'll see whether it leads to anything more, but good for him. And it was Dimitrov's first title as well. Mm. It is the, the it's where single-handed backhands flourish. <laughs> it is. Um, meanwhile... Maybe you should go there. Me? Yeah. What, you think I might win? St- well, if it's where single-handed... I've just come up with that. I'm sure there's so. an... 
old fogies with bad backs draw somewhere in <laughs> Stockholm uh, for me to enter. Uh, yeah, my back has never been the same. My back, not my backhand, my back. Uh, <laughs> after that match, I've been in a right state. Anyway, um, another. I feel do feel. I mean. Every every week there's a story uh, of of somebody winning a tournament, and if you were ever to actually go to any of these tournaments, you would feel uplifted by that person's personal story to get to the the victory line because it they a lot of them don't get much of attention, but they they all mean a lot to these people that put on the tournaments and also the people who get to the final stage and hold the trophy. Andre Rublev won Moscow. Um, a combined event, really good event that is to watch on TV in Moscow, and he was in tears afterwards. Is that his first title or not? I'm not sure whether it is his first one. I think he might but it's, already have one. But it's a great achievement for him to 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 withstand the pressure. I mean, you know, on the subject of the predictions again, I, I had Rublev to win Shanghai the week before, and he lost early on. Um, so I was just a week out, so I kind of almost got it right. Um, he's he's going to have a big 20, 20, what, the year then? 20? 2020, isn't he? Yeah. Rublev. Yeah, I think so. Tour finals, end of the year? I think so. You, do you think he'll be in the final eight next year? Ooh. I, that just popped out. I, I thought it really just popped out. <laughs> Catherine's gone early. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, <laughs> Mark this down, Yeah, people. gone then. Yeah, top eight, end of the year. Do you disagree? I don't know. I haven't given that much thought well, yet. I, now, now's the time. I would have thought he he wouldn't make top eight this time next year. It depends how many single-handed backhands he plays against, because uh, he he is the single backhand killer. Um, would you, you can't that that is <laughs> the most irritating caveat I've ever heard for a prediction. Will he make the tour finals? I'm going to go no, um, but I like the prediction. I almost like the prediction I'm sure more. I like it. I'd, I'd almost rather you got it right, just because it's so audacious. So what what do you think he's going to do? Top I think 10? I think, think he'll, he'll be just, just on the on the outskirts. I think he'll be the Kiki Burtons of uh, the Kiki because Burtons. she's just missed out by one place from the WTO finals. To Belinda Bencic, who's the other player we're going to talk about now. It was his first title, was it? Yeah, and no wonder he was in tears, and also obviously in Moscow. First of many, obviously more but to come in twenty twenty. They had this Andre. fantastic final weekend in Moscow where Bencic beat. Anastasia Pavlichenkova, who's been making a bit of a run again, and uh, she's now being coached by Sam Sumik. And Bencic, I think she's a wonderful story and a player that has just qualified in eighth position. She's the one who's ed- edged out Burton's. And I love the fact that she's going to Shenzhen. And, and that's nothing against Burton's, who I think you know, seems the, one of the best people around. But just as a player, Burton, uh, Bencic really does add something that it wouldn't otherwise have and and just continues this story of cool winners over this weekend yeah she's such a welcome addition to the top eight it feels like she belongs there. i remember seeing her come out um at the hotman cup this year and i she suddenly looked just steelier mm. and i remember a lot of people commenting at the time um same with ash barty i remember i just remember a lot from that a lot of markers being laid down at that hotman cup i mean i know it's e- easy to say in hindsight but um yeah, it did feel like that at the time. Um, you know, a lot of people tipping her for a big year. I think she's got more top 10 wins this year than anyone besides Andreescu. I think even more than her. She's got, I've got a stat here that says tour leading six wins. Oh, this is over top five players. Six wins over top five players 
uh, this year and nine over top 10 players. Yeah, I mean, I think if she had won that US Open semi-final against Andreescu, she could very well, I think, again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but probably would have beaten Serena in the final. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think she's she's a joy. She's just a joy to watch, isn't she? I really love everything about her. I love... I love her, the the sort of the throwback elements of her game, the little mm. reminders of Hingis, but then also the little reminders that I'm not just Martina Hingis. I've yeah. got, I've added more to my game than that. That's not to do down Martina Hingis. It's just that the game has moved on since since then. You can't get away with not having not having that injection of power. Um, and she's so clever. That feels like the what's triumphed in 2019 clever tennis yeah a variety yeah um, something to combat brute power mm. um and if you look at the top eight that have qualified now barty pliskova in, it's so interesting that pliskova is in second position and she's the yeah. one who hasn't won the slam i did a double take at that yeah hasn't even reached a final of a slam this year but shows how consistent she's been so barty pliskova osaka halep kvitova andrescu Svitolina and Bencic. I think that's it's one of the best lineups they've ever had. Yeah, there's I mean, absolutely no weak link there. There's no match I don't want to see. Obviously, I mean, if you've got Serena in there, even better. Yeah, clearly, but it doesn't need Serena. The story isn't what a shame Serena's not playing. Well, Whereas, she hasn't it's actually fa- qualified. Um, obviously, that's because of inactivity at the end of the year. But, sure, you know, but she's not in the top eight. It's not like she's pulled out of it. No, but. It's, but still, I don't think she leaves. I, I'd, I'd have loved it if she'd been there. But I don't think she leaves a gaping hole. I think that's a sensational lineup. Yeah, it is. Starts in just over a week. Can't wait for that. Um, I'm commentating on that. Oh, I can't. I actually get to get paid to watch it. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't show off. That's cool, cool isn't it? <laughs> who's going to win it? Oh, who's going to win always it? An, it's. Well, Got a week last few years it's been a surprise winner, hasn't it? But who would count as a surprise winner? Mm. I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see mm. what sort of court speed they've got because yeah, we've, had, we've that, seen a variety, yeah, haven't we, right. over this... When you think of Beijing, for instance, that was a quicker court surface than some. Was it? Is that right? Is it? Was it Beijing? No, it was Wuhan that was absolutely lightning quick, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Beijing that was a little slower. So, sorry, um, trying to remember which one's which. I would probably go if i was going to stick a bet down right now i'd probably go for andrescu um because we've only ever seen her lose once yeah she's still got that feeling of just overwhelming confidence about her to me what do you think who are you going for i think the draw does come into this however probably probably uh, court speed and draw are everything with this well I mean that record against top five players is the ones that I mean that's this is the event when that record is that it's most significant I tell you that's not a bad shout there I mean if you think Svitolina won it last year Wozniacki won it the year before these are not the players that I think people picked at the outset I reserve the right to change my mind when I see that they've laid down a grass court or something. <laughs> Dominika Sibylkova won it the year before that. Well, yeah, this so, is what I mean. It's a cool event. I love it. Um, okay, Benchich, uh, you can have that. That's fine. 
Right. You sticking thanks. with it? For now. <laughs> a draw coming out in a few days' time, so we'll bring you the best of that in next Who's week's the show. Because Serena ain't going as an alternate. Yeah, I don't know that yet. Um, Joe Conter's not uh, fit, uh, so she won't be it. It'll be Kiki Burton's, will it? She's yeah. also in the Zhuhai draw. Zhuhai starts tomorrow, um, and uh, the draw has been made for that. Uh, I can't remember what it is. <laughs> I'll have a little look in a bit. Um, on the subject of the other remaining tournaments that we haven't covered yet luxembourg yelena ostapenko won the title beat yulia gergas in the final so ostapenko having reached the final and lost to coco goff last week in uh, Linz, now wins the title of her own under the uh, guidance of marion bartoli and again what a nice story seeing ostapenko come back to the forefront after a really pretty miserable couple of years since certainly the wta finals of two years ago and winning the french open that year yeah out of absolutely nowhere yeah i think what we've had further evidence of this week is there's absolutely no point in uh predicting what on earth elena ostapenko is going to do (laughs) because whatever she does it'll be out of nowhere probably Yes. Um, so Ostapenko's won that title. Coco Goff and Katie McNally won the Luxembourg doubles. Um, so that's a nice way for Goff to end uh, the year. She lost first round in the uh, singles. And uh, yeah, just now I'm glad she's playing plenty of doubles, actually. I think that's good for her, too. Yeah, that's her second title together, isn't it? And of course, Katie McNally um, had that great match against Serena Williams at, um, at the US Open, which was really her big announcement onto the stage she was super cool actually wasn't she the usa but she's yeah. great i hope she has um, more to more to come yeah as i am hopeful of is it muhova who's got that really Mukhova. expansive game yeah as well Mukhova. i think she got to the semis I think as well I, last week i think i predicted muhova to do some things this year and she did do some things she just didn't do them at the times that i'd predicted she'd do Ooh. some things is she going to be top eight next year um, not quite. I think she'll be in Zhuhai maybe. Okay, next year she's in that Mukovic. this year. I think she's besties with Rebel Wilson, isn't she? Yes. Uh, okay, uh, she's at the outset of her career, as is Katie McNally, as is Denis Shapovalov, who beat Filip Krajinovic. Somebody who's not is Janko Tipsarevic, whose career has just come to an end. He played an absolute epic with Yuji Sugita and saved nine match points before eventually losing on his 10th, and he kissed the court as He's, he bid farewell. He will play Davis Cup, no? I don't know. Um, they're, they're making the announcements uh, at the moment for the Davis Cup finals by Rackerton. A good time for us to tell you that we have our ticket code here on the tennis podcast because we are sponsored by the davis cup finals until that event takes place ttp davis cup finals on the daviscupfinals.com website if you want to get 15 percent off your tickets and we should also tell you you remember last week how we spoke to tim lee of new zealand poor old tim has had a nightmare with his visa and is now not going to be able to attend so we have had to redo the draw um we've got a new winner we are going to still look after tim we're we're sending him a tennis podcast t-shirt we're going to invite him to another event and and meet up with him Uh, really sorry that he's not going to be able to attend he he really wanted to go um but the visa got in the way um so we sort of rendered himself homeless (laughs) (laughs) if he'd attended yes and he was considering it (laughs) 
Um, but anyway, he uh, so he can't go. But um, Andrew Millard can. He is from the United Kingdom. He's come out of the hat. Uh, it's not out of a hat. It's out of my random number generator on my computer. Um, so... Uh, Andrew's going to come to the Davis Cup finals. Congratulations to him. He's going to bring a, a friend as well. Uh, and you can go to and use your 15% off code TTP Davis Cup finals. So, um, is Janko Tipsarevic part of the Serbia team? Because he was in training, I know, with, uh, mm. with Novak Djokovic, wasn't he? He was seen in training and they've been drip feeding these announcements out throughout the day so i'm just having a quick flick through here to see if serbia have actually made their team announcement yet it's quite cool watching these come out we've had uh, france have revealed i was quite interested to see most of their top players actually um monfils and uh, songa and mahu and Ebert. season is over isn't it yeah um, but i'm trying to i mean he said he wouldn't play didn't he last year yeah. when, when matt was at the, the finals yeah. and he's not in the team now i don't know whether that's because he's just decided he's not going to play no, or he whether did announce, he put an announcement out last week saying his season was over due yeah. to injury i don't know if that's a convenient okay. Yeah. convenient thing but he, but he also I, I just find it also I mean he, he there's an argument as to whether he would be picked frankly mm. the way he's he's not been playing particularly well um, Spain have gone with have got Nadal who's just got married over the weekend uh, Roberto Batista Agut um, Feliciano Lopez Pablo Carrera Buster and Marcel Granoyes that sounds like a strong old team and here we are yeah we've got Janko Tipsarevic in the team uh, for Serbia Djokovic um Viktor Troitsky, Dusan Lajevic, Filip Kranovic, and Janka Tipsarevic. I, I mean, I suspect Tipsarevic probably won't get in that. No Ketchmanovic. Uh, no mention of him, no. Um, but yeah, pretty stacked team. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, What it's, is Troitsky's ranking? It must be way That's down. I mean, some of these pick, people, you would imagine that there's that there's an experience element to it, isn't there? Um, Russia have got Daniel Medvedev, Karen Hatchinov, Andrei Rublev. Yeah, I mean, um, that's a heck of a that's team, a isn't it? good old team, isn't it? Um, but it's, it's bullshit, all Russians. It's going to be very, very interesting to see who ends up coming out on top in all of this. So that's what's happened on court. Am I missing anything out? I don't think so. Zhuhai starts. Let's see uh, what sort of draw we got there. Uh, I know that we had the groups come out today for Zhuhai. Jack Sock's about to lose his ranking. Oh, yes. He, he, he is going to lose his ranking. I think he's just got the points from the one or two matches he won in Paris last year. And once those go, he will be without singles ranking. Isn't it extraordinary to think that he was in the ATP finals less than two years ago? And performed well in those ATP finals. Justified his position there. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't know. I know he's had some injury problems. He broke his thumb, I think. Thumb injury. But, I mean, I I don't know how that happens. Oh, imagine breaking your thumb. Horrible. That would not be nice at all, would it? No, but if I had to choose a bone to break, (laughs) I would say thumb would be close to top of the list. I think I'd go for little toe. I think I've heard this debated by medical professionals and I understand the one you should opt for is clavicle. What's that one? Collarbone. Oh, okay. I'll... 
That's I'll try it out. <laughs> minim, mi- minimally intrusive, no plaster cast required. Right. I think y- you just get to take it easy okay. for a bit. <laughs> right. Clavicle, it is, folks. Okay. Medical professionals, please let us know. I'm speaking beyond my brief that's, on medical topics. That's again. all helped us because now I have the Zhuhai draw in front of me, and uh, they're they're all named after flowers. The uh, the groups, the Azalea group is Burton's Vekic and Yastremska. Uh, the Camellia group is Kenin. Camellia. R- Camellia group is Kenin. <laughs> uh, Risk. I know my flowers and Muhava. Uh, and then the orchid group is Keys, Martich, and Zheng Sai Sai. And the rose group is Sabalenka, Mertens, and Sakari. So Sabalenka and Mertens, who are doubles partners at the WTA finals, are playing each other in Zhuhai round robin. Like that. It's going to be fun. <laughs> All starts tomorrow. I'm commentating on that as well. <laughs> I'm having a great couple of weeks, me. Uh, right. Uh, Catherine's going to be presenting Paris uh, next week um, for Amazon Prime Video. So we're all very busy. Who's going to be the surprise winner of Paris? Oh, that's a great question. Who is, is it going to be somebody who's on the rails maybe for the ATP finals? Or is it going to be somebody with zero You stress? always want it to be a week when an ATP finals place gets decided. But I think it's unlikely it's just going to be obviously daniel medvedev isn't it because <laughs> <laughs> he just wins everything because all we're left with is, is the memories and metronomic winning of titles yeah because that's what he does so said david law there you go um so anyway we'll find out right that's the on-court stuff lots has been going on off court we spoke to simon briggs earlier he reported that andrea gaudenzi the former italian player is being touted as the next atp ceo to take over from chris commode it's not official those are uh, reports though from simon briggs uh, who usually has pretty well-placed sources we have also had an interview over the last week uh, on our friends podcast, the NCR tennis podcast, with Vasek Pospisil, who's obviously been making a lot of noise over the last uh, few months, over the last year or so. He's part of the ATP Player Council, and he has assembled, in his words, 80 signatures of players on the ATP Tour, 80 of the top 100, I think he was saying, that have signed up with his movement which involves getting a legal team for the ATP players for the male players um, to assist with their negotiations with the tournaments Um, and he's got a movement that is trying to give the players more negotiating power and in his words trying to give them more of what they deserve a, a bigger piece of the pie that they are helping to create he has also said in that interview that uh, they've Uh, teamed up with the Women's Tennis Association Player Council as well so that they can make a combined effort here. Um, And it was a fascinating interview with Ben Rothenberg who who asked him about what is effectively the, I would say, Catherine, the, the key to this is... What about a boycott? You know, how far are you willing to go with this? Um, because really, and there have been there has been a boycott in the past um, that we remember in 1973 of Wimbledon, um, but and and there have been strong negotiations in the past to which have helped lead to significantly increased prize money under some threat of withdrawal of of, of labour at these these Grand Slam tournaments. Um, Vasek described a boycott as something that nobody wants 
players or tournaments and something that would be a disaster for the sport. However, he also described the support for a boycott amongst those players if it came to it as tremendous, which to me sounds pretty contradictory. Um, if it's something that you... Because he was very clearly saying that he felt that the the players having better compensation is in the interest of the sport generally because he wants 300 players to be making a living rather than 100, which you know is a very laudable goal. But at the same time, if you're going to actually get there, you you are genuinely serious about doing something that you also think would be disastrous for the sport. Obvious Brexit comparisons abound. It's brinkmanship, isn't it? It's um, the if you're in a negotiation, you have to at least be seen to be prepared to go through with. The worst case scenario, even if it's the worst case scenario for both parties involved, brackets, no deal Brexit. Um, I mean, see, I, 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 as much as I understand that, um, I do think there are a lot of sort of erratic inconsistencies in, in what he had to say, um, which is a worry given what's at stake. Um, and as much as I think it's sort of pleasing to hear of any kind of unity between the ATP and the WTA or male players and female players, as much as that might feel like crumbs off the table, it did just strike me when I was thinking about it all this week that, I mean, what's, what's being proposed here, I, I, I won't... I won't labour the point, is an intervention in the markets. So anybody that is up for this but lazily falls back upon market forces related arguments for the clear and obvious um, sexism that still exists, well, in the world, but in tennis, um, yeah, you need to check yourself. Because it doesn't work. Mm. Does it's inconsistent. But it's, it's, it's exhausting, isn't it? And it all comes back to the, the rhetorical question, which we always end up asking when um, tennis politics come to the fore, which is who has tennis's best interests at heart? Some of Vasek Pospisil and the people involved in this movement have, as you say, laudable intentions to an extent some to a greater extent than others but the overall best interest of tennis who is who in power is looking out for that mm. and it's quite interesting that uh, Novak Djokovic speaking last week was reiterated his point that he well how silly he thinks it is that we have the Davis Cup finals and the ATP Cup within six weeks of each other and and that he hopes that they combine and yeah He's the he's the world number one, or what, I don't know whether he's, is he still the world number one. Yeah, anyway, he is still world number one. But it's up for grabs, isn't it? Yeah. If Nadal it plays, is, which is a nice story in London, and he's the the head of the player council, and yet we're in this situation, and then you've got the ATP CEO Chris Commode who called that 
potential scenario before it happened insane and then was basically kind of pushed into making it happen by the players we're down the rabbit hole folks yeah. in every possible way and incidentally in Vashit Pospisil also talked about Chris Commode he was asked by Ben why why are you pushing so hard for a new direction and a new leader when in Ben's view Chris Commode uh, is probably, and the AGB generally, is probably in the best shape of all of those uh, respective bodies within tennis at the moment. Why, why get him out? And um, Vashit was trying to say that he feels that Chris Commode, A, gets credit for things that he doesn't actually impact much. And he was also saying that how can you not be doing well when you've got Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal at the top of the game? How can tennis not be doing well? Well, I... Look, I, I would first of all declare an interest in as much as I worked with Chris for six years when he was the tournament director at Queen's and I was the media director. Um, so I've, I know close at hand how effective he is. And But I, but I think you, you know it's, it's, it's only right for me to make that clear. But for, I don't see much of him at all these days. But just looking from afar over the last six years of his tenure, I... I Vashit mentioned how the next gen has become a pretty visible and and sensible and clever marketing tool. Even though they haven't done an awful lot yet, they are known as the next gen players. It has achieved its goal in terms of putting them on the map. Well, whose idea was that? That was Chris Commode's idea. The 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 under twenty ones tournament, the next gen finals was his initiative. Um, they have had massive increases of prize money over the last six years. Could they be getting more? Yeah, maybe they could. Maybe players could be getting a bigger piece of the overall pie. But don't you just want the pie to be bigger and things to just kind of do pretty well? Now, you may come up with a better solution than Chris Commode. Maybe you will. Good luck if you do. But what if you don't? And actually, things are really quite good. So um, I think you've got to be careful what you wish for. Um, because they're getting what they wish for. Um, so we'll see. And, and I'll certainly keep an open mind. And if, if the players end up doing really well out of this and sport absolutely thrives, I'll be the first to hold my hands up and say, fair enough, well done, you made the right decision. Mm. We'll see. Um, so those are the, the talking points of the week. There's been some sad news within tennis uh, this week in that the former top Russian player Alexander Volkov has died at the age of just 52. Very sad to hear that. I remember following his career a lot in the early 90s. Uh, Mark Hurd, the CEO of Oracle, who has done so much for laying on the network and infrastructure of the Challenger series of tournaments, the new series of tournaments over in the United States, has also passed away at the age of 61. Very sad news that. And from a tennis podcast perspective, we were also sad to hear uh, that our first ever mascot, Charlie the Ferret, has passed away. He was our mascot a couple of years ago. We loved having him. And, uh, and yeah, we, we send out his, our best wishes to his owner, Katura, who's somebody who's supported us in our Kickstarter every year. And, yeah, he was lovely old Charlie, wasn't he? Yeah, introduced me to the, the wonder of ferrets. Yeah. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> Indeed. We didn't know too much about them before. Now we do. <laughs> so anyway, um, we'll miss you, Charlie. And we will be back with another edition of the Tennis Podcast next week. And we will hopefully have Matt Roberts back with us because he's been off swanning around the United States, hasn't oh, he? If he's allowed. Yeah, he's going to be full of... He needs to submit an absolutely 
ropey prediction this week. Yeah, I'm sick of it. Crikey. Anyway, if you want to, if you want to <laughs> hear, you've uh, had the bad end of Matt Roberts uh, the past couple of weeks. <laughs> I've had a bad old time on the old prediction stakes and uh, and on the court as well. But anyway, he'll be back hopefully next week. We'll have a newsletter out this week with our latest week's predictions in it and Matt's stat, of course, Mystic Matt, as he's now being known uh, to in the alliteration corner. <laughs> Um, successful alliteration yeah. from David Law. Successful identification of alliterations. <laughs> I'm 46 and I've finally got there. Um, so tell your friends about the Tennis Podcast. We have been executive produced by TennisBalls.com. Our mascot this year is Rio with a Y. We are brought to you in association with the Telegraph and sponsored by the Davis Cup Finals by Rakuten until that tournament starts. So make sure you get your money off if you'd like to go uh, with that with that TTP Davis Cup Finals code. And we'll be back next week. 